the show you need to get what you desire by avoiding the mistakes made by others before you. Learn the stories and journeys of what success looks like to find the freedom you deserve while thriving with your best life. And now I present to you the one, the only Rapid Results with Andrew Wise. Welcome back to another episode of Rapid Results with Advice. We have a very special guest today, Dennis Conforto. And for those who want to practice some Italian, that means comforter, because Dennis is going to comfort us with some knowledge today. We are very excited to host Dennis. He has a very inspirational story from being homeless to being an elite CEO, founder, working with some of the top CEOs around the world, being a 2022 LinkedIn Top Voices Influencer, and more. And I'm very excited to dive into this topic today. And so to kick us off, and for those who don't know too, Dennis is an author. He's a motivator. He's a speaker. He's a visionary, leader, negotiator, over 30,000 followers, 15 million views, loves working with CEOs on complex situations, and he combines his real-world visionary experience with his additional skill sets as an industry leader, business executive, spokesperson, author, and motivational speaker. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, Dennis. Dennis, tell us, what is the biggest and best business you are most proud of? That's really a hard question because you, you look at business transactions and you might think that the best deal you ever made was the size of the deal. The best deal could be who you made the deal with. The best deal could be the one that after you left had the longest run. And, you know, I've had a lot of business trends, but I will, I'm going to give you a very unusual answer. The best deal I ever made in my life was the deal that I made with myself when I decided that the difference between being nobody going nowhere and wanting to be somebody going somewhere, that was the best deal of my life was the deal I made with my self that I wanted to be more than what I was and who I was. And that was a transaction with myself. Now, independent of that, the real answer to your question is probably a transaction I did a little over 20 years ago with a software firm that basically had a a valuation of close to $100 million that I uh, sold to an investment group in the Bay Area which allowed me then to turn around and buy 7,500 domain names, starting with the word shop. So I owned things like shop home, shop loan, shop, you know, a whole bunch of things and created a company called shopadc.com, which had a zero valuation and went from zero to about $575 million in about a month period of time because the valuation of these domain names. And at one point in time, I thought, wow, this is what I did was really quite smart. And of course, things change out in the marketplace. You can do everything right, but the conditions in the marketplace can change everything. And about the time that I had this high high valuation was about the time that the dot-com bomb came and blew up all the dot-com companies, their valuations. And only the people who got outside of the bomb who were already on their way, made it. So those were corporations like Google and Amazon who had just enough growth to get out. And then that created a kind of a vacuum that unless you were number one or number two or number three in the marketplace in your category, you were number nothing. You were just number nothing. And that, by the way, will hold true 
today. And that's the kind of the interesting thing about the internet. Prior to the internet, you could be number one or number two in your hometown, number one or number two in your state, number one or two or three in the country. With the internet, you literally had to invent and create at the speed of thought to get to be number one globally or nationally. And then there was just nothing else after that. So if you think about all of the companies that compete with Google, you run out of speed pretty quick. You'll you'll get to things like a Yahoo search or Bing search or whatever. But after a while, you get to the top three and then really you're just not using any of the other services. So. So you're saying you're one of those entrepreneurs who's able to capitalize on the dot-com boom and that helped you help a company go from being worth zero to being worth, you said, $580 million or something? You said within like 18 months? Are those numbers right? Yeah. yeah uh-huh. <laughs> and hopefully you got paid handsomely for that too, right? Or no, not really. No, thank you. No, well, there, there's a big difference between the market value of a company and then being able to cash in on a mm. uh, on a company. And there's a bunch of skill sets that have to go into play to having a market valuation and then be able to ca- capitalize on the ma- market valuation because you actually have to go through a process of where the company is bought out or you have taken the company public and you have increased the value. So, you know, part of the problem when people look at people who are really wealthy, take, for example, Elon Musk, you know, you have a person whose wealth is in paper. It's not cash. So people look at that and think they have all of this cash. And of course, if they were taxed on the valuation that they were at, they would be worth nothing because they they really couldn't pay for any of it based on valuation. So things are only of value when you're able to cash in on them, which is why it's important to me that if I start a business, I try to answer three questions when I start a business. What is the problem? What is the solution? And why me? Why do I have that solution? Those are the three things I have to answer. The most important thing then after that is how do I exit the business? I never get into a business that I don't know how to exit. The number one exit strategy in the United States is bankruptcy. And that is a bad exit strategy. (laughs) Tell us more about that. What do you mean that's the number one strategy? Well, it's not a strategy. It's the lack of a strategy. In other words, Mm -hmm. because people don't know how they're going to get out of the business, they just grow the business, but they... You know, they get to the point where the business has got them trapped. They start a pizza store and then it's like, now what do I do? My son doesn't want to do it. My daughter doesn't want to do it. My family doesn't want to do it. And so I've got to be able to sell this thing at some point in time. You may or may not be able to to do it. So people either close the business down because they have nobody to pass it on to or because it eventually runs out of gas and, and steam because, you know, other competitors come in the market and it goes bankrupt. So a lot of the strategies of getting into a business really have, centers around how you're going to exit it. It's, it's an odd thing for a person who views himself as an entrepreneur of how do I exit it? So you exit it by selling it to a competitor, a larger competitor who buys it and says, this will be great to my portfolio. In other words, you merge it with another company, you take it public or you sell it to the employees through that program, or you, you're passing it forward to family members. And typically, family members don't want these businesses that you have a passion for, which is why when you look at a new company that starts, most of them go bankrupt. 
that's why I said that's the that's ends up being the number one exit strategy, bankruptcy. And it, that you pick depends on how you construct the business. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So I know you, you've you primarily been involved with uh, real estate businesses. Tell us, uh, I, I guess that's kind of, I, I just realized it's kind of humorous, you know, from not having a home for four months to now it sounds like you own multiple homes in your portfolio, right? <laughs> Well, I did, but you know, now because of what's happening in the uh, uh, economy, there's two things that are key in the marketplace. You know, one of the strategies has always been cash is king. The other king in the marketplace, especially for entrepreneur, is speed is king. Speed yeah. to whatever it is that you're doing. So, typically, most entrepreneurs have a, a sense of urgency which is one of the reasons why they're always pushing for speed. What they tend not to surround themselves with is people who have the same sense of urgency, which is what slows an entrepreneur down. They're always trying to get people to like understand the, the, you know, the value proposition of what it is that they're doing. My entry into the real estate marketplace really had to do with a strategy around how homes were really ultimately going to be valued. In other words, the condition of the the homes. And it was really a technology, a really a technology business and a business strategy. So a lot of people thought I was really in the real estate uh, business, but then a lot of people thought I was in the software business. And a lot of people thought I was in the retail business, but really my interest has always been around technology. Uh, mm-hmm. And for my age and for my interest level, I was ahead of my time back in the seventies when I got interested in technologies and in the software industry in the 80s when most people didn't even know what software the difference between the word software and hardware was interesting and mm-hmm. to where i am today you know right now i'm 70 years old but for being 70 i'm a very young 70 year old i'm very yeah. up, all the latest thinking all the greatest technologies you know i'm a ferocious reader every week so the people that I talk to, regardless of their age span, I am like really, truly still, at least in my thinking, at the forefront of technology and how to view it and how to think about it. Well, and I know, yeah, so AI is obviously all the rage in 2023, it seems, and it's just picking up momentum at the end of 2022, and it's just getting more and more powerful. So tell us, you know, so today's March 2nd, 2023, what are some top technologies that every successful entrepreneur should be using to help build their business faster and better? Yeah, it's really an, a, a really an interesting question. I'm going to answer it again in a very unusual way because okay. I tend to reverse engineer everything. So I look at everything backwards from everybody else. So if you want to go forward in your use of technology, you got to go back in time to understand the way things are. So most systems really were developed, especially large scale systems were really developed, believe it or not, back in the 1920s and 1930s. And in other words, the way that people organized the way that they thought. So like the yellow pages and the white pages, the way the telephone systems work and the way that telephone numbers work really are a migration and thought of the past. The railway system, the rails on the track are as a result of what the Roman Empire did 2,500 years ago, the distances between them, which has to do with why this 
space shuttle was the width that it was because of what the Romans did 2,500 years ago. So you almost have to go back in, in time and look at industries that are still trapped in time and try to reverse engineer what it is that they're doing and how they function and then reorganize it. If you do that, it almost doesn't matter. There's a plethora of technology platforms that you can do. Any one of those platforms is an improvement over the way that they used to do things. So you can take lots of small vertical industries, and I'll, I'll tell you what I like to do. It's I like to take industries that are dominated by 1099s, people that are small contract businesses, and then try to organize a series of systems around that to scale it up. A 1099 business is typically a business that doesn't have a marketing structure to it, and nobody's gone into the marketplace to figure out how to how to dominate that marketplace. And it's it's kind of interesting to do because once you pick one of those places, you can see how archaic it is, and then you can develop technologies around it. As far as future technologies that are coming out, I mean, really large scale. Obviously, AI is coming out, but AI, like all technologies, has its good and its bad. For example, mm-hmm. Elon Musk and I agree with him says that the most dangerous platform in the world beyond nuclear warheads is AI. He talks about it all the time. And a great example of where AI can go is what Hollywood did with AI, which is the Terminator, where the machines (laughs) started taking over. And we are close now to what they call singularity, where the machine no longer needs a human. It can think on its own. It can reason on its own. It can argue with you on its own. And it can make decisions that are counterintuitive to what humans would do. So a lot of this stuff we need to be very careful with, just like the technology we use for combating viruses. I never understood why somebody in a lab somewhere wanted to make a virus more powerful. To me, that doesn't make sense. Yeah, that was ridiculous and very unfortunate that (laughs) that all happened and then people got censored for it and all the above. Yeah, and that was and that was a that was a virus that inadvertently or purposely, who knows, got released. But you can imagine what could happen to the human race with this technology if one that was 100% effective got loose. I mean, you could literally really destroy the world without ever firing a nuke. We're just the ability to breathe, which is what this viral stuff does, just the ability to breathe. So, you know, in all of this stuff, we really have to be smart about how we implement technology. So nuclear energy was great, but we ended up with a nuclear warhead. Money is great, but money can be used for really bad purposes. So really great entrepreneurs really look at technology and says and think about how does this speed up the human condition. So one of the technologies that I was involved in was the barcode technology, which led me to eventually I traveled to 119 countries around the world. But with that technology, wow. where a key operator every 300 keystrokes with barcode technology, we were able to reduce the error rate from one error in every 300 entries to one error in every 33 million entries. That is the difference between quantum change and incrementalism. So when an entrepreneur thinks about technology, they got to think about what is quantum change versus incremental 
change. And if you want to get ahead of the curve, I mean, if you're really trying to build a magnificent company, you got to think about what is the quantum change, not what is the incremental change. And to do that, you got to be ahead of the curve. You almost got to be on the bleeding edge, which is very difficult place to being an entrepreneur anyway, is like putting your face in a meat grinder, right? <laughs> yep. Because feels that way. Mm-hmm. And when it hurts and you know it's starting to damage you internally, you still know you got to stay there internally to, to get ahead of the meat grinder, to get out of it, to grow something. And it's so much about entrepreneurialism has to do with the team that you select. All you have to do is select one wrong person in an organization who is focused not on the organization, but on themselves. And it changes the entire trajectory of everything that happens inside that businesses. And most businesses are a human fail, not a technical fail. It's a human failure. Yeah, I know. That's a very good point. It's just like, recognize the end of the day, like you can have the best tools, but if you're not using them in the right way and not aware of the dangers of them, then it definitely could be a big detriment to your business. And so I'm curious too, like, yeah, I know you have your book looks uh, definitely amazing as well. Life Done Right. Do you talk about technology or any, any, any chapters of that book? No, and the book isn't out yet. It's You're looking at the, you know, an example of some covers that I'm thinking about. Life Done Right which is life done right, everything I did wrong to get there (laughs) is really, you know, kind of the journey of going from my birth. In fact, my story starts like all of our stories start a hundred years before I was born because there was somebody, there was a series of events that led up to the circumstances of my birth, just like there is for you and all of us. And unless you kind of know the backstory, you don't know why that person was born in that town at that time, and then what happened from there to try to figure out how to make life right. We're all born into defective families. They could be horrible families. They can be good families. They could be fantastic families, but they're all defective because we're all defective. And part of the process of life, getting life right, is all the things you had to do wrong to figure out what was right for you. So this is my journey from the time I was born until about my mid-20s, the the art of just kind of learning life. And, uh, you know, a lot of just absolutely hilarious stories, a lot of tragedies, a lot of the ups and downs of life from, you know, being in the Valley of Despair to the Mountain Peaks of Hope. I've noticed in my life, the Valley of Despair and the Mountain Peak of Hope, that you would get just to, you know, like walking on a level plane. You know, you're not in a valley, you're not on the mountain. But the reality is, is you're always up and down these these uh, hills in your life because no matter what the fairy tale looks like from the outside, nobody really has a fairy tale life. You know, we all have to fight for even the famous who are massively successful, uh, you know, are dealing with things that nobody knows about a death in the family, an illness, uh, something that's weighing on their soul. Some very famous people fight with stage fright and they can't get in front of people and they, yep. you know, and they're performers, they're artists that, you know, and you think it's no big deal, but you know, life is a struggle for each of us and the lack of sensitivity that humans have, especially as we see in social media that is reflected towards each other is not very kind oftentimes. So anyway, I wrote this book about unkindnesses that were done to me 
and why I don't harbor bad feelings about any of it and how I'm grateful for all the struggles in my life. Really grateful for them all. Well, and I'd love for you to share, you know, and obviously, um, you know, one of my favorite stories of all time is, uh, you know, the story of like a dad and his son. And, you know, I think so like the story is like a dad, a dad is there with his son and then a random stray horse comes into their yard and the neighbors are like, oh my gosh, you're so lucky. You just got a free horse. And the dad goes, we'll see. And then so the son starts riding the horse, trying to uh, break it in. And the son falls off the horse and breaks his leg. And they're like, oh my gosh, that's such bad luck. You're such an unlucky person. I'm so sorry. And the dad goes, oh, we'll see. And then the next thing you know, the town is going to war with another village or whatever. And uh, because the son has a broken leg, he's unable to go to war. And so the town people go, oh my gosh, uh, your son has a broken leg. That's so lucky. And so <laughs> it's always interesting too, how, like you said, you know, we think it's ups and downs, but the, the level playing field is starting to make more and more sense that you kind of just have to keep going with the flow and try to kind of trust and connect that it's going to lead to where you want it to go, but also the dots connecting backward is always so much easier. And so I, I definitely love that example. And so talking about the uh, the fairy tale that you were talking about, I mean, so um, for those who go on Dennis's website, you can watch a video that does a reenactment of his life. And at the end of the video, it says that you've raised six kids of your own, 30 foster kids. You're obviously running a successful company, working with elite CEOs around the world. So, so tell us more about what that's like for uh, being able to raise all those kids while running a su- successful business. Well, I don't know that I was successful at it. You know, <laughs> I, I, I will tell you... You know, I used to wonder how good I was as a, a father. And it's it, it's hard to run a successful business and balance out, especially if you're traveling and you're, you know, you're all over the United States and you're all over the planet and you're, you know, you're just always on the road. And, you know, then you justify, you reason like, well, it isn't quantity of time, it's quality of time. I'll, I'll work on the quality. So every time I'm with them, it's a, a rich experience. The, the reality is it's both. It's quantity and quality. If you sacrifice either one of them, you're sacrificing something and you can never get that time back. And so I, I've always wondered how I did as a father. I'm sure my kids could say, yeah, my dad could have done better. On the other side of the coin, they're pretty generous in their compliments to me when I ask them how they did. But the way I measure how I did as a father is not how my kids turned out, but how my grandkids turned out. That's the only way you can know. It's not, <laughs> it, it, it's what they teach, not what you taught them, but what they now are teaching to their children. I have to say, I've got some pretty fantastic grandchildren. So I would, I, I don't know that I would give myself an A, uh, a better grade than as a, uh, as a father, because it's a heck of a lot easier being a grandfather than it is a, a dad. But you, you know, ultimately know that your life's journey is ending and you are able to look back and uh, over the arc of time. And then you can probably give yourself a grade about how you did and what your experience was. And since I'm not at the end of my journey, at least not that I know of, it, you know, I don't know. How, I, I really don't know how to grade uh, how I did in the balancing act. And I still, to this day, struggle with, you know, how do I balance my time? Because time is the only thing that we have. And it turns out to be the most 
important asset we have. We have lots of assets we have in our life that we can grow. So I can put money in a bank and grow it. I can grow real estate. I can grow all, you know, all sorts of stuff. I can grow crops out in the field. I can do all sorts of stuff. I cannot grow time. It is grow life. And what we're going to do with that time. No, I I love that. And speaking of time too, I'm curious, like, you know, being on that journey of learning to not blame others for your situations, seems like people spend all their time and their whole life doing that. Like, how did you come to that point of learning to take, of, of learning not to blame your life circumstances on people around you, essentially, and to take that responsibility? Like, how did you, how did you figure that out for yourself? You know, I think today that's like the greatest question that everybody should be asking themselves today, because today we have a culture of victimhood creation. There are people who love creating victims and allowing people and exploit the victimhood creation and their large multi-million dollar businesses convincing classes of people that they are a victim and victims have a lot of hate and vitriol within them because they're looking for somebody to blame on their life circumstances. I can tell you one time, I at one point in my life when I was homeless, I was on a street corner walking back to the area where I had all my stuff hidden in these bushes. And I saw a baby blue Lincoln Continental And the hood was down. It was a convertible. And it was the first time I ever saw a person on the phone in a car. This is before cell phone. And I just looked at that guy and I thought of myself being homeless. And I, my hatred of him, a person I did not know was like off the rails. I thought like, how could you drive in that car in front of a homeless person and feel good about yourself? I'm here because of you. You took something from me and I blame my circumstances on him. And I was in this state of mind. I'm nobody going nowhere because people are holding me back. And my homeless situation was really not four months. It was a year prepared to be uh, homeless. And I had isolated myself and really didn't talk to anybody for a year. None of my friends saw me. Nobody knew where I was at. I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. But I went for two weeks without eating. And this is when I thought to myself, I want to be somebody going somewhere. And all my anger and blaming other people who I didn't know for my fate in life was a waste of time. People who were deceivious to me and forgiving them right away. And then spending my life trying to catch people doing things right, including myself. And one of the things I like most about myself is my ability to forgive and forget. I have a ring on my hand I made. On the one side, it says intelligence, and the other side, it says knowledge. So I'm always trying to get knowledge, and I'm trying to be smart with the knowledge I get. But in the inside of my ring, I have two words, forgive and forget. Gaining knowledge, being intelligent with the knowledge, forgiving and forgetting are kind of the four cornerstones of how I figured out like how to be happy every day, regardless of the circumstances and regardless of the challenges that I face in my life. What is the most important skill set that you can have? And I would say two things. One, how you view yourself. And two, how you view others that you work with. And so my favorite 
people to surround myself with are what I call the coachable coaches. There are some people who are great coaches, but they're not capable of listening or hearing, and they are themselves are not coachable. I like viewing myself as being a coachable coach. So in business, there's a concept I call the big brain. The big brain knows everything. They are in charge of everything. Nobody else's opinion matters. And if you want to get anything done or you want to figure out how to do something, I uh, have found that unless you go to big brain, you can't get anything done. So this idea of being a uh, coachable coach yourself as an entrepreneur and then surrounding yourself with people who are really, really good and in some ways, you know, are better than you but are coachable at the same time, I think is the key to having a really good business. The other thing that has been important to me in business is as an entrepreneur, I always knew what I wanted out of the business and why I became an entrepreneur. And as a result of that, I wanted to have an environment where as an entrepreneur, I was thinking in behalf of the people that I uh, that were employed by me, which meant that they also owned part of the company, a business that, that at some point in time, ownership in the company became something that was important, uh, not only to me, but to all the employees. So, okay. Now, Andrew is asking a question. Uh, what is your vision? What's your current vision you're working on and how can listeners be uh, uh, contact you. So the big thing that I'm working on right now, I have two passions in my life. I love to cook. Uh, you can be my Facebook friend at Dennis Conforto and see, I, I try to cook something every day that I like. I know it's a horrible thing. People go like, what the heck? Why does, why, why does people think that, you know, showing your meal that you have today are so important? But if you look at my meals, you'll, you'll get it. And politics, not that I'm interested in politics, but I'm interested in really common sense, um, solutions. So I have a podcast that's going to be coming out yet to be named. And my vision is trying to get rid of the big divide that I see in the, country between two parties who are really not even, neither one of them are really in control and getting to common sense solutions. So I will be cooking and interviewing famous people while I'm cooking where they have a view that is different than my own and see from the time I cook and get it on the table that we can't come to a common sense uh, solution. I'm very excited to to do this. And I'm working with some um, really big players out in the marketplace who were behind uh, shows like Rush and other talk show hosts that are going to be helping me with this show. So we'll, that that's my big vision for right now, finding a way that... I can help get rid of all the angst and get to a, a reasonable solution of common sense. All right. That's super helpful. So, so that's thank it you everyone for, for me. Joining. You can uh, find me on LinkedIn, which is a great place to uh, see what I'm doing. And Facebook and Instagram are also good places. So, um, so thank you. Uh, Andrew just said, incredible interview. Well, half the interview was me interviewing myself. So no wonder it was in, in, incredible. I got to be with my favorite person, which is me. So Andrew, I'm sorry that our technology didn't work and I just kind of had to ramble along. Um, but hopefully I carried it enough. 
that concludes another episode of Rapid Results. Remember to leave a review about something you learned so others can share the knowledge. Keep being unstoppable in your pursuit of the lifestyle freedom you desire. And we'll see you next week.